Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about whether humans have an internal compass, how long a flu virus can last in the environment, and whether creativity and mental illness actually go hand in hand. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Do humans have an internal compass? Think about it. Lots of animals have an instinctive sense of which way points north. Even dogs tend to poop in line with the planet's magnetic poles. Really. So then, what about humans? Especially those of us who never seem to be able to find where we parked our car. Could we possibly have an internal compass? Well, it turns out the answer is probably yes. And researchers even have some theories on how it works, ranging from magnetite in our sinus bones to a protein called cryptochrome. So for most of the 20th century, research into the ability to sense magnetic fields, or magnetoreception, were ridiculed. But scientists have found that virtually every migratory animal, from birds to fish, have a built-in compass. So why not humans? In the 1980s, British biologist Robin Baker performed experiments that suggested that humans had magnetoreception. But these results couldn't be replicated. And his claims of the human sinus bone being magnetic were contested by Caltech geophysicist Joseph Kirschvink. Then Kirschvink himself performed experiments into human magnetoreception. To overcome drawbacks in the previous research, he measured people's brain waves on an EEG and tested them inside a Faraday cage, which blocks any external electromagnetic interference. Like Baker, he concluded that humans do have the power of magnetoreception. Scientists have two leading theories on how this works. One theory is around magnetite, the magnetic iron mineral Baker claimed to find in the human sinus bone. It's been found in birds' beaks, fishes' noses, and even in the human brain. The other leading theory is an intriguingly named protein called cryptochrome. Certain wavelengths of light turn it into what's known as a radical pair molecule, with two unpaired electrons that spin in the same direction or in opposite directions pass a magnetic field over them, and the electrons flip between having aligned or non-aligned spins. We don't know how powerful human magnetoreception is or what could trigger it. But one thing is certain. Finding your car in a parking lot will always be tough. A 2018 study shows that the flu virus can last longer in the environment than we previously thought. And now that it's flu season here in the U.S., we're going to dig into the implications of that research, along with giving you a few tips for staying happy and healthy this winter. Although first and foremost, I have to remind you to please get your flu shot if you haven't already. Because influenza, or flu viruses, cause about 200,000 hospitalizations every year in this country alone. And although it's not 100% effective, getting vaccinated is definitely your best defense against the virus. Have you gotten yours, Ashley? No! No! Ah! Well, I did, so if you get the whole office sick, I'll be safe. I'm going to make sure that by the time this episode comes out, I will have gotten it. All right. Anyway, back to the study I mentioned. We know that the flu spreads through direct or indirect contact with someone who is infected or through aerosols, including coughing, sneezing, or even just breathing. For a long time, scientists thought that when it spread through the air, like in a cough or a sneeze the virus would become inactive pretty quickly. But it turns out that our mucus actually protects the virus. And the researchers behind this study have unpublished data suggesting the virus can persist for up to 16 hours. In a stable indoor environment, there's a good chance it can survive in the air for an entire day. Yuck. I'm not telling you this to freak you out, though. 
I'm telling you this because there are little things you can do to remove the flu virus from the air. That is, in addition to the classic advice of hand-washing, wiping down frequently touched surfaces, and coughing into your shirt rather than your hand to catch the droplets. First off, increasing the air circulation in a room can dilute flu viruses in the air and limit their spread. You can do this by increasing the exchange rate of building ventilation systems, turning on ceiling or portable fans, and, although it could get a bit chilly, by opening windows. Second, it turns out that air purifiers designed to remove particles should be effective at removing viruses from the air too, although that hasn't been tested directly. A purifier with a HEPA filter and a high flow rate will remove the most particles. And finally, consider wearing a surgical mask if you're sick to protect those around you. If you're not sick but you're around people who have the flu, wearing a surgical mask will help as long as it's tight-fitting. If there are gaps around the sides, then it's not helping much. These simple measures could significantly decrease the number of infections every year. But one more time, please get your flu shot if you haven't already. Vaccines save lives. Full stop. Ashley, I remember the time you had the flu and you had to come in to record a podcast episode because we're daily and we needed to record every day. And you definitely wore a surgical mask. I remember that. That was awful. Yeah. Ashley did take it off. When we recorded, of course, which is why she didn't sound weird. <laughs> but thank you for doing that. I did not end up getting the flu from you. Yes, that was good. But also don't be like me. Don't come into work if you don't have to when you're sick. Because not everybody can get a flu shot and you open them up to infection. Yeah, not good. <coughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, no. Today's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, then you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses a brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. So it feels unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. It's not like the memory foam you're probably used to. And the Purple Mattress keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. When you order it, you'll get a 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's also backed by a 10-year warranty with free shipping and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, Curiosity Daily listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's on top of all the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text CURIOUS to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text CURIOUS to 84888. That's C-U-R-I-O-U-S to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Do creativity and mental illness go hand in hand? I mean, do you need to be mentally tortured to create works of genius? Luckily for those who want to be truly creative but prefer to avoid a psychiatric disorder, a published review of the available research says the answer is no. The idea of the mad genius is older than psychology itself but it spread like wildfire after the release of two pivotal publications. They became the source for nearly all research into the link between mental illness and creativity, and the results were spread far and wide. The publications I'm talking about were studies published in 1987 by psychiatrists Nancy Andreessen and Arnold K. Ludwig, and in 1989 by psychologist K. Redfield Jameson. Both studies found strong links between mental illness and creativity, with Andreessen's result claiming that 80% of writers have mood disorders. 
But as psychologist Judith Schlesinger wrote in 2009, neither of these studies were rigorous enough to warrant the regard that researchers hold for them today. Inspired by Schlesinger's article, in 2017, psychology PhD candidate Krista Taylor looked at the research that has been done since and performed a systematic review and meta-analysis. That's a type of super study that reanalyzes the data from dozens or even hundreds of other studies. And Taylor did it to see what evidence there was for a link between creativity and mood disorders. And what do you know? She found no clear relationship. To be clear, that doesn't mean there isn't a link, but it does mean that there's little good evidence for one. This is important because the mad genius idea can be damaging, both for people in creative pursuits and for people with mental illness. Creatives are often judged harshly by potential romantic partners, landlords, and even banks who think they're too big of a risk to get involved with. And for creative people who have serious disorders, the myth could lead them to avoid treatment so that they can keep their gift intact. When psychiatrist Albert Rothenberg critiqued Andreessen's classic study in 1990, he concluded that all creatives did have one thing in common, but it wasn't mental illness. He said, quote, Only one characteristic of personality and orientation to life and work is absolutely, across the board, present in all creative people. Motivation. They want specifically to create and to be creative, not merely to be successful or effective or competent, unquote. If you've got the motivation, you have the potential for greatness, mental illness or no. Before we wrap up, we wanted to ask you to vote for Curiosity Daily in the 2019 Discover Pods Awards. We're a finalist for Best Technology and Science Podcast, and we absolutely need your vote to help us win. We'll put a link to vote in today's show notes, but if you're on your phone right now, then just pull up awards.discoverpods.com to vote. You can find Curiosity Daily in the category of Best Technology and Science Podcast, about two-thirds of the way down the page. One more time, that's awards.discoverpods.com. And thank you. Okay, so what got us excited about today's episode? Well, humans might have a built-in compass thanks to either a mineral or a protein. The word is out. I also learned that cryptochrome is not a web-browsing cryptocurrency. Yeah, it's not uh, It's not on the blockchain. It's in this this old block Pointing to my head right I now. I see that, yeah. This old blockchain here. The, the block that is one's head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also learned the horrifying news that a flu virus can survive in the air for up to 24 hours, as long as there's a stable indoor environment. And I'm really going to get my flu shot by the time this goes out. You don't even have to worry about it because I already have it right when you're listening to this. Yeah, I learned the horrifying news that my coworker's not vaccinated. <laughs> I'm vaccinated. I just don't have this year's flu shot. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to learn that there's no clear link between creativity and mental illness. If anything, there's just a link between creativity and the motivation to be creative. And I consider myself a creative person, so that felt good to know. Definitely. Today's stories were written by Ashley Hammer and by Seema Lagdwala and Lindsay Marr for The Conversation. Stories were edited by Ashley Hammer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity.com. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.